0: Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor Rob Santiago and a very challenging and sobering message on hell. Enjoy this message. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, man, I, I, I'm i just excited to be up here this evening with you guys. And I have a, uh, uh, I have an interesting um Sermon for you guys this evening, and I, I was trying to stay on this topic of of our theme, right? But our theme is technically—it's funny—it's it's, it's over. Our theme's over, and so <laughs> it's over. So I I got into this concept as I was praying about it, like you know, when is it over? You know, so I started thinking about death, and I started thinking about some deep things, and and tonight I want to talk to you about something that's very very. Um, A topic that's very interesting but that no one likes to talk about i want to talk about hell tonight and so i I know right it's like what you want to talk about hell yeah i want to talk about hell tonight in church yeah specifically in church there's really no other place where you should talk about hell but in church amen so let me just pray if you guys would just bow with me heavenly father we just thank you lord we honor you lord and your sovereignty and your grace jesus we thank you for your redemption Lord, we thank you for your atonement, that you've rescued us just from the pit of hell, Lord. And we just thank you, and we turn this service over to you and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so I was, was, as I was planning this this sermon, I I remember one time, just a quick story. Um, I I remember one time I was at work, and and I I said, what the hell? Because I was upset, okay? One time I said it. I know I know yeah well, I can't believe he said that right and so I was upset at something I'm not going to tell you what it was but you know how many people get upset at work yeah. yeah okay good I thought I was the only one you guys were laughing at me for a moment but you know we get upset at work and, and sometimes things come out and I said that and some guy goes well, aren't you a Christian why are you saying that and I looked at him and, and he helped me he helped me because I, I said I'm saying it because it's a real place, and 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 you know, so he he you know he he actually started probably thinking about his life in that moment, you know. And, but it's one of those things, guys, where hell is is a real place, and it's a place where it's funny. It's a place we don't want to think about, right? And so um, I have I have a lot of quotes today, okay. Uh, um, and, and C.S. Lewis writes this he says the doors of hell are locked from the inside and, and I began to unpack what he was meaning by that and really what it means is that people are in hell because they've turned away from God on purpose so it's like they've locked themselves in there see it's a decision that we make to go there but here's the funny thing about it is it's, it's one of those things that kind of creeps up on you right? And, and hell is that wrinkle in our lives that we like to ignore. I, uh, I compare it to credit card debt. Anybody ever been in credit card debt before? I know nobody here, right? But we've been in credit card debt. And, you know, you just don't want to look at that debt. You, you just don't want to look at it, right? Because if you look at it, it becomes a reality. If you look at it, what happens? You have to do something about it. If you look at it, it, it now it becomes something that you know, And you know that you need to fix that, right? But if you look at it just briefly, like just maybe for a second, it's okay. Because you can walk away from it. And you're going to forget about it. And, And life is good, but you probably have a lot of credit card debt. It's like that, right? It's the elephant in the room that nobody sees. Right? It's the elephant that nobody wants to address. And we intentionally look away from this. And I look at that and I said, man, is that not the... Is that not the best strategy for the enemy? Is that not the best strategy for Satan? I remember I, I had this, and I've said this quote here before. Um, I got saved when I was a senior in high school. And so, I, I, this was my, my high school quote. You know, you have to put a quote for your yearbook, right? I said this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. Wow. And I love that quote, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> It's from a movie, okay? It's from a movie called The Usual Suspects, okay? And it's the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe that he didn't exist, right? And then Francis Chen says this. He says, the lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want, to, they want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. The penalty of their sin is what? It's hell, right? It's death. It's eternal damnation. And so as I'm praying and reading this, I figured something out. I, just, I said, you know what? Hell has been really camouflaged in our culture today. Yeah. It is camouflaged so much that even if we try to look for it, we're a little confused by it, right? The luxuries of this world camouflage it, right? The passions of other people camouflage it, right? I know a lot of people are like, they like surfing YouTube for new doctrines. Like the Bible is a brand new book or something, right? The Bible is like some brand new book. So we have all these brand new thoughts and we're woke now, right? Let me tell you something. The the Bible was written intentionally to be unchanged. So let's not be getting on the internet looking for some new woke word, right? That's going to finally get you saved, right? And so again, it's, it's this thing where it has been camouflaged and, it's almost as if this book is no longer needed. We have information, we have so much, and it's readily available to us. But all that information has taken us away from putting our faces in this, right? And so somehow the enemy worked his magic into that. In Isaiah chapter five, verse 20, it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You ever watch the news today? Sometimes you're thinking, wait a minute, that's wrong. Why are people celebrating this? Why, why, why is something celebrated that has been wrong for centuries? And And again, if you don't conform to that, you're ostracized for it. You get a label put on you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. You know what I love about my Bible? It doesn't lie about hell. You know what I love about my Savior is he talks about hell. Right? I remember one time I was telling people, you know, I was, I think it was on an outreach. I was, I, I realized on outreach that you can't just go to somebody and just tell them, you know, hey, uh, Jesus loves you. It just doesn't work anymore because you want to know why the world has told them that they're okay. Yeah. The world has told them that everything's fine. Yeah. You don't need anything else. You're good. The government's going to take care of you. Don't worry about that credit card debt. We're going to bail you out. Right? Right? Don't worry about these things. We're gonna take care of you. Doesn't it sound like the enemy has camouflaged a lot now that I've broken this down for you? He's he's camouflaged a lot, right? It's like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right to me. I'm scratching my head sometimes. Like Now I have to question everything. But you know what I don't have to question is God's word, amen? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus warns us of this. In, in, in sorry, Matthew 13 verse 47, He gives us this parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what Jesus is telling us what hell is. He's telling us right off the bat, there is going to be a sort of us. So the bad ones are going to get pitched over here, the good ones over here. The bad ones get thrown into something called a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I looked up, what is weeping? Well, yeah, I did, I looked it up. Okay, I know what it is, but for the sake of study, I looked it up. Weeping is basically crying, shedding tears, sobbing a little bit, right? How many have sobbed and cried a little bit? Maybe it's over a circumstance, right? But then Jesus combines weeping with gnashing. Now, gnashing is when you're angry and you start to grind your teeth. So think about this. You're experiencing an emotion when you're in hell. You're experiencing this emotion of just pure sobbing, but you're angry and frustrated. What is making you angry and frustrated? What can... What can really, how can we relate that? That combination, it's difficult. Maybe some of you have experienced it, but maybe not all. Where you're sad and angry, and it's this confusion of feelings. All I know is that that translates to me as just eternal pain. Just eternal pain of emotion building up inside of us to the point where we're grimacing. That's what hell feels like. And Jesus is giving us this warning. And so I'm like, what kind of setting can give you such a picture or a feeling like that? And one day, I'm gonna tell you this quick story. One day, I got the jury duty notice, okay? And I'm like, oh, great. I gotta go to jury duty, right? I gotta serve my country. And so I got the notice and I remember, um, I remember telling my wife like, you know, I, I just have a feeling I'm gonna be there all day and it might be two days. I'm gonna to go to Barnes and Noble because the internet wasn't readily available, okay? I'm gonna to go to Barnes and Noble and I'm gonna buy a book. At this time, I had gone to a lot of museums. I went to the Getty and fell in love with artwork. And so I started looking at this particular artwork. I was remember just seeing it at the Getty. I don't remember what it was called, but it was amazing because it was hell. Yes, I was saved at the time. So it drew me, right? I was very interested in it. And so as it drew me, I started to look. I'm like, man, that's crazy. What is that from? And I remember this lady telling me that's actually this, from this author named Dante. And, and it was artwork from something called The Divine Comedy of Dante, who's, a, who's a, an Italian poet, all right? And he wrote it as a sonnet. I said, that's the book I'm gonna buy for jury duty. I wanna read about this. I wanna read about hell. What better way to be a jury duty, feeling like hell, reading about hell? right? And so I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and and buy this book. So I started to read it. Very tough read, okay? But let me tell you a little bit about what he wrote about hell. Now this isn't, I'm going to say this, this isn't necessarily biblical, okay? You may see biblical concepts tied into it, but this is very much so something that he came up with and what he thought was hell, what hell was, and he wrote a story about it. And in the story, this guy is being navigated through hell, and there's different... Levels of hell. Okay, there's different circles of hell. It's called, there's actually nine of them. So, based off your greatest sin, you'll be in one of these levels of hell. Okay, now I'm going to show you a picture, and I already know what you're going to do. You're going to look at that picture, you're like, man, I can end up right there. Okay, so I'm going to ask the team, go ahead and put that picture up. This is just a, a quick diagram, all right? Again, I don't know if this is how hell is because I've never been there. Okay? I'm not saying that this is what hell is, but these are the nine layers that he had came up with. Now, let me explain this just really briefly. These are different kind of categories of where that falls, right? You can see there's gluttons, greedy, wrathful, and each one of these is actually very descriptive and ugly to know. You can see at the bottom there, you see that guy right there? That guy's not good. You want to stay away from him. That's Satan, okay? <laughs> then but you could see right in here you have this section called fraudulent and i looked at that i'm like that's a big section man what the heck but then you look in here and, and it there's actually he starts to break it down in these other sub levels of the fraudulent right and, and if if you just kind of read sorry it's hard for me to read being so close to this i probably should have had my own but there's falsifiers those who lie right those who Right, and and then there's even prostitutes in here, and then here in the violent area, those of us that are violent or or committed violent sins, there's murder, right, and blasphemy, and then so he he created this this diagram, believe it or not, through through this, and at the time nobody had done this. This was around three hundred around three hundred A.D. I mean, this Jesus died in thirty three A.D. So if you really think about the timing of this. This is like one of the first kind of drawings or outlines that were that was written. And he got it from the Catholic Church because the Reformation hadn't happened yet. And so he he this is what he thought it was. And believe it or not, people till to this day feel like this is how, how it is. And, and even down here at the bottom, you could see there's the lake of fire. And so hell's a real place. And so Dante began to really kind of describe it, and people started to read this book. Okay? And they became scared, and I like the, the top there, it says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Meaning you have no hope. You know what I love how, when we're on earth, it's not over, because we have hope. Jesus gives us that hope. And, and I, I get really scared when I think about hell, but at the same time, it's funny, it's like, hell is also one of those things where like, if, if anybody's ever been through an addiction, in order to defeat your addiction, What is one thing you have to do? You have to admit that you have an addiction. If you think everything's okay and everything's perfectly fine, then there's no reason to change, right? So hell should point us to Jesus. Hell should point us to that redemption. I don't wanna go to hell. And so I remember when I first accepted Christ, you can go ahead and take this picture off the screen. Everyone's looking at it. Putting your pins on it if you put a pin on there or you're saying hey I'm gonna be honest I'm gonna be just real if you if, if that scared you a little bit or if, and you're wondering maybe I'm, I would be right here you probably need to go to the altar at the end of the service okay cause I don't have a pin on that I don't have a pin on that I don't have a pin okay so just, just so you know the standards are high alright the standards are extremely high And so Jesus gives us another parable. He gives us another parable about hell. And it's one of my favorite parables because it scares me. All right, this is called The Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, I'm gonna read this to you. I want you to pick who would you rather be. We're gonna play a game. Who would you rather be? Would you rather be the rich man or would you rather be Lazarus? Okay, now let's, let's read it. Okay, Luke chapter 16 I'm gonna go ahead and, and I'm gonna tell the production team, I'm gonna go to verse 23 because uh, I'm, I'm gonna just paraphrase something really quickly here just for the sake of time. But there's this rich man, guys. I'm gonna tell you the story. There's this rich man and he's sitting at the table and the Bible says that he has everything he needs. He's, he's in purple, so purple represents royalty and he he basically can eat whatever he wants. He can afford whatever he wants and he lived a very comfortable lifestyle. Okay. Then there's this this poor man, or in some translations, they call it the beggar. His name was Lazarus. He was on the outside. Anything that this guy ate, the rich man, anything the rich man ate, he would get the crumbs off the floor and eat them. Because he was poor, he was a beggar. He didn't have what the rich man had. Now it says this in verse 22, uh, let me go to verse 22, it says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23 says, And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So let's just stop right there for a moment. So we have that this rich man, he died. And then he looks up, he sees Abraham. okay, And then he sees next to Abraham is Lazarus, the poor man. So the rich man is looking up and he's like, what the heck? Why is this happening to me? In verse 24, it says, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the, the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But how is he comforted here and you are in anguish? And besides all this, between us And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear from Moses and the prophets, neither will, be, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus kind of talking about himself there. Right? And so who would you want to be? I think all of us would say "There, hey, I want to be a, I want to be the poor man. But guess what? The rich is telling, or I'm sorry, the world is telling you to be the rich man. Every commercial you watch, everything you see on social media, it's telling you to be the rich man. It's getting you to be the rich man. It's cultivating you. All that dopamine, when you start to look at those things on the internet, all that craving that you get, why do they get to go on vacation? Look at they're eating at the hottest spots chilling at the freshest restaurants. And I'm stuck here. Stuck here what? Being a beggar? This is a tough world we live in. Right? Because, yes, we want to be with the in crowd. We want to be hip. Right? We want to be, we, we want to do all those things. But at the same time, what we read in this story is what somebody wasn't, ch- wasn't chasing the riches. The poor man right, the, or Lazarus, he was actually the one sitting next to Abraham in heaven. See, you probably look at that and you say, well, it says the rich man. Pastor Robert says the rich man. I'm not rich. Well, I think you've missed the whole point of the story. The rich man here is one who is self-indulgent. It's one that is comfortable. Some of us, some of us are a little comfortable. Some of us are way too comfortable Right, And I, I, as I was praying about what I wanted to preach about, I said, you know, we've been a little too comfortable. Let me preach about hell. Because there is a high standard to this. See, it wasn't the amount of money he was making. Jesus literally, literally was describing the attitude and personality of a rich man. Nowhere did Jesus say in the parable, this is how much money the rich man had. He was specifically bringing out in the parable the attitude of the rich man. And let me tell you, all of us, all of us can sometimes carry that attitude. We who live lives of comfort, we live a life in danger. See, Dante wrote this. this is, I love this. Dante wrote this. He says, my thoughts were full of other things when I wandered off the path. You guys ever been distracted before? Right? You're going out throughout your life, you're chasing a career. You know, maybe maybe you're you you gotta get a certain amount of money, you have a personal goal, but it's consumed you so much that you've forgotten about your spiritual life. Maybe you've opened up a business and since you've opened up that business you have new responsibilities and one of those ain't your faith. Right? These things take place. This is why we say, like if you're a true disciple, you should be praying about these things. Just because it just sounds good. I'm going to open up a business. I'm good at this. I can make a lot of money. Is it good for your spiritual health? I don't want to be like Dante saying this. My thoughts were full of other things when I wandered off the path. In other words, living a distracted life, lacking priority in your faith, not putting it first. You know what I love about church? You build community with people that are like-minded. Right? But number 2, it's it's tough for the devil to hide in church. I said that hell's like been camouflaged. Right? If if the the longer you stay away from church, let's say you you start to just miss a few services, I've said this before. And I think it's a great analogy. You start to miss church or you start to miss those things like connect group, all you do is you start placing a brick Between you and God. Every time you miss, you place that brick. Right? And then you think, well, it's okay. You don't have to go to church all the time. You know, okay, let's put another brick. Like, oh, you know what? Hey, I got this new thing going on. I need to go to it. You know, I got to get my hair cut. I'm going to have to miss service. You're laughing. Hey, you're laughing, but there's people in here that probably have done that. Right? So put another brick down. Before you know it. Missing church is some, is, it's comfortable. Oh, that's all right. I'm not scheduled to work, so I'll just miss church tonight. Oh, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, I don't have to, you know, do anything for ministry, so I'll just miss church. Another brick. Before you look, before you know it, you start placing all them bricks. Now you can't even see God anymore. (laughs) Church, I'm not, I'm not making this up. That's how it happens. I've seen it, some of my good friends Some of my good friends started placing bricks on the floor, man And they're not here today, they're not serving God And it started with just one little compromise, one little brick It started And it it can act like that in your life If you're not careful, you start adding these bricks Make it a priority, your faith should be a priority No matter what's going on in your life The other thing I wanna bring about in this passage is that we learn, Jesus kinda gives us a little, he gives us like a a little picture of heaven and hell. He says that there's this great chasm between them so that they cannot cross over here and they cannot cross over to there. Do you realize that once it's over, once it's done, and the decision has been made, you're done. You have no more control. And if you end up in hell, you can't go there. You're going to say, oh, there's got to be some appeal or some pardon. There's not. (laughs) Judgment is judgment. And so we have to think like that. We have to pray like that. We have to have have that perception and that understanding. So Jesus says there's this great chasm and no one can cross into it. See, we live a life where, hey, man, it's easy, right? We have these thin lines in our lives where, hey, I'm going to walk on this path that leads me to church but then your homies are telling you to walk on this path that leads you to the bar or your work is telling you no, come over here walk over here instead and before you know it you're getting farther and farther away from the path that's closer to the altar where you're supposed to repent and honestly church it happens so easily it happens so quickly I love what Pastor Isaac, he shared this quote and I stole it from him C.S. Lewis says this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot. You know what soft underfoot means? It means it's comfy. You ever put your your feet on, on just grass? It feels good. At least I like it. But it's nice and soft. You know, it's nice, gentle, sloping, soft underfoot. Without Listen, he continues, without sudden turnings, without milestones. And guess what? Without signposts. That means it's without warning. That means those that are tuning me out right now. I'm trying to be a signpost for you. (laughs) Gradually, the enemy tries to pull you away. And it's gradual. It's nice and soft. It feels good. The bank account's full. Everything's going great. Politically, everything's aligning. The stars are aligning. Everything's perfect in your life. Gradually, Slips you away from the goal of heaven. Yeah. Business is doing good. Can't miss work. Got to do this. You know, and, and I've, again, I'm saying it because I've seen it happen. The other thing is, when he, here Jesus, he, he doesn't do this in any other parable. But Jesus specifically names somebody. Looking for answers, you're looking for direction. We're going to point you here 99 percent of the time, right here. Don't get me wrong. There's urgencies, people need urgent prayer, There's circumstances that take place. We're there. But don't look for us to answer or solve the problem. Only God So if you're looking for someone to rescue you, Jesus is the only one that can. If you've been coming to this church for over a year and you're still in the same season you were a year ago, you have no one to blame but yourself. It is because of the teachings that are preached from this pulpit. Now, I'm not trying to be prideful, I'm not trying to brag, because honestly, all glory is given to God because what we preach out of is the word of God, amen? I love what Jesus says. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, right? where someone finds that treasure, and he sells everything to buy that field. That means he gives up everything. Yeah, yeah, right? That, that should tell you something. Where God should be the most important person. Not so-and-so. Not, not somebody that just goes to church. You should be church for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, it looks like... Uh, What happened here? All right, I'm gonna keep going. I lost my timer. You guys are in for a treat. I'm gonna go all night. I'm not even, I got a lot. In other words, church, it brings into the next point. I love what what Abraham tells the rich man. The rich man asks, he he asks him for a favor. Hey, uh, Abraham, I'm burning down here, man. Can you go tell? can you go to my father's house and tell my five brothers where I'm at? And he's like, no. No, I'm not not gonna go do that. They have Moses and the prophets. Do you know who Moses and the prophets are? It's the Old Testament. So in other words, he's saying, they have the Old Testament. Well, no, no, if someone goes to them from the dead and tells them, right? And he's, all of a sudden, you know, he cares about his brothers. He knows he's not gonna be rescued. He's already been told that you can't go from here to there because of the great chasm. So he's like, well, at least tell my father and my brothers, tell them. And so Abraham's response is almost cold-blooded. No, I'm not gonna tell them. They have the word of God. And so you think about that, it's like that's really cruel, but it's not because you have the answers. Yeah, but can you tell them that the word of God actually is it? I've been telling them. It's in the... You know what's funny about this? Is that the rich man... Here, here's the funny thing. He looks, at, he looks at Abraham and he calls him by name. Do you know what that means? He knows. He knew who that was. He sees Abraham, he's like, that's Abraham. Father Abraham... Calls him father. Those of you that study the Bible, right? Your Bible scholars here, that's heavy. Because he's calling him father of what? Right? He's he's recognizing him as the patriarch. He's recognizing him since the beginning. The father of history. The father of my cultural history. He probably knows about the Abrahamic covenant. He probably knows about the promises. He knew about all that. What am I saying? Knowing isn't enough. Knowing isn't enough. Do you think that when preachers are up here preaching and they're sweating, they're preaching for passion? Because you already know. You know about Jesus. We're just trying to wave at you like, hey, stop with the distractions of the world. Come back over here. And so... When he sees that, he recognizes Abraham. That broke my heart. Because it's like, wait, he knew that that was Abraham. He didn't say, hey, up there, can you come get me? He says, Father Abraham. In other words, I'm a child of you. I'm a child of the promise. I'm a child of the covenant. And he's like, yeah, they, listen, bro, they have, the, they have the word. I don't know what to tell you. And I'm looking at it like, Abraham, man, that's messed up. That's mean. But is it? Because what did I tell you? C.S. Lewis, he had that quote. I I read it to you. Hell's locked from the inside. In other words, they made that decision. Just like some of us have to make that decision tonight. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. I look at that, I'm like, That could be so, that is so true. Just because you're sitting in church doesn't mean you're getting in. Just because you're sitting in church today doesn't mean you're going in. Just because you're a good person, I've said this before, man. When we're little, we're told, you know, those of us that grew up in church or had religious family members, hey, follow the Ten Commandments and you're good. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Did you know that's just the bare minimum? That doesn't mean salvation. That's like, just trying to be a good person so you don't get locked up. Did you know that? that just because you follow the Ten Commandments doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Nowhere in the word of God does it even say that. Again, the enemy has camouflaged his kingdom in front of you with lies like that. And we grow up thinking that. I grew up thinking that. Well, I'm a good person. You're not good enough unless you believe in him. It's, there's multiple things here. One thing I, I, I started to think about it as I was reading this, the pain, the pain of the rich man. It said he was in anguish. And he even says something crazy like, can you go tell Lazarus to put cold water on his finger and touch my tongue? He's looking for some relief. That's how much the pain was. That's how much it was heavy on him. See church, there's one thing that I think he felt. And I think that's what makes your teeth grind and it makes it gnash when you're in hell, it's the guilt. We all carry some guilt. Guilt's an interesting word because guilt we don't realize this but guilt is actually appropriate and necessary for salvation. I'm going to say it again, guilt is appropriate and necessary for salvation. One time I was talking to a family member and they told me, "Why are you guilting me? Why? You know why are you guilting me? Why are you do that?" Like and I told him, look, I'm not guilting you, man. I'm not guilting you. You know, and I realized, wait a minute, yes, I am. Because I thought, like, am I, am I scared of guilt? Because it is necessary. It's my guilt that, draw, that draws me to the altar and, and asks for redemption and forgiveness and what? Repentance, amen? It is the guilt that drives me there. So why are we, how come we can't, how come we can't make people feel guilty? Because it just makes them feel way too bad. Will they feel better feeling guilty or will they feel better gnashing their teeth and weeping? I think sometimes we, we have an opportunity to tell family members and friends about Jesus, but we won't because we're afraid that it's gonna make them feel guilty. If you don't tell them that, then they're not, it's not guilt that you're gonna have to worry about with them. It's the weeping and gnashing of them being in hell. And you know what scares me about this? Is that they could see each other. He could see Abraham. He could see Lazarus. Imagine that feeling. You're in hell and you're looking up and seeing how good it was. How good it is. And all, all it has to take is you committing your life to him in a service like this or even outside this. Dante also writes this, he says, there is no greater sorrow than to recall our times of joy in the midst of wretchedness. Right, think about it. You're in your lowest moment, you're in your biggest pain, and you're thinking about what could have been. That is the worst feeling that you could possibly have. In Psalms 51, one, it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions it's understanding that God begins to cleanse you he begins to make you feel righteous even when you fail how we could still feel his presence when we seek it see it's almost as sick and twisted as it sounds guilt is almost a privilege like God let me see my wretchedness so I can repent God let me see where I'm wrinkled in my life so I can iron it out with you. God, help me. Point out my flaws to me because I'm living comfortably. God, help me right now because honestly, life is too good. I need more of you because I'm doing things without you in my life. See, I let that guilt drive me. And I ask God, God, show me my wickedness. Show me because the enemy's telling me it's not there sometimes. The enemy's gonna tell you, It's okay. The friend that tells you, you don't have to go to church all the time. It's all right, man. It's it's okay. Have a little drink. It's legal now. Try this. You know, have a little something. You know, and I really look at that and it scares me because I think what that does to us, and I'm gonna have the worship team come up. I'm gonna be closing with this. You know, it, it scares me because that, just a little bit of compromise, it just taints everything. It taints everything that you're doing. And honestly, the compromise comes in. It it really comes in because, you're probably gonna be offended by this. Some of you sitting here today and watching online, you have made a partial invitation for Jesus. Meaning, God, I'm only, hey, I believe in you. I'm only gonna take it this far. Hey, God, you can come in, but you can't come all the way in. Hey, God, I don't know about doing all this that your word says, but I love you. It's a partial invitation It's a partial invitation Your faith Is based off of a partial invitation For some of us That means if there's an ounce of compromise In this room Or watching If there's an ounce of compromise in your life You're headed to hell I'm that signpost you don't want to see Telling you you're headed there and I know it's a deep discussion and it's probably like that's really mean that's harsh but I'd rather you feel guilty than you feel what it's like to have the weeping and gnashing of teeth this is why we do what we do this is why we study God's word we try to live righteous lives so we can help others do you know being in ministry is the greatest blessing of my life Because if I didn't have the schedule of where I've had to teach, I've had to prepare, I've had to read God's word, I wouldn't have done it. I love that. I love that I took on that responsibility and I said, God, I'm gonna commit my life to you. Because it told me that especially when you dive right into ministry, you get to realize, hey, you know what? It is all worth it, but it is difficult. It's gonna take your time. It's gonna be, it's gonna impose on you. It's gonna be all these things that you don't want, right? You're not gonna have the free time or you have to put time aside to prepare a lesson or you know what, you need to feed yourself so you can feed others. Because it made me examine my own life. I'm just being real with you today. It made me examine my own life. Should I be really talking about this if my life isn't right? And those those moments of reading God's word alone, those moments of preparing lessons have told me and, and brought me to this one conclusion, like the standard I've set is very, very high in my life. And I encourage you guys to set a high standard as well. Because it takes a high standard to get in. There's a great distance between heaven and hell. But it really, honestly, it only takes a second to figure out where you're going. And so... I want to go ahead and, with every head bowed, let's bow our heads. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to begin to examine your life. If you can be honest with yourself. If you can be honest for yourself and and tell yourself, look, I, I have a partial invitation for you, Jesus. It's a partial one. But I'm also here to remind you that it's not too late and it's not over. You can make this decision today. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've accepted Jesus into my life, but I've also fallen away. I have a partial invitation for him. I haven't committed myself. Or I once was at a place where I knew for a fact I was going to heaven, but now I'm second guessing it. I wanna encourage you that if there's any doubt, if there's any guilt, that's not a bad thing. It's a privilege to have it when you begin to repent because of it. I'm gonna say it again. It's a privilege to have those feelings when you wrap it in repentance. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Job 32, verse 21 says, Let me now be partial to no one, nor flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else make else make my maker would soon take me away. In other words, we have to worry about one thing and that's committing our lives to God. Not partially, but fully, complete in every aspect of your life. And that's the most important part of this service is to have you have that opportunity this evening. So if you would like to commit yourself to Jesus, maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your life, maybe you've never made a full commitment to him, if that's you, I want you to lift your hands. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna make you talk or anything, or anything like that. But if this is the most important part of the service, and we wanna make sure that you have that opportunity, if there's anyone at all that says, hey, I wanna, I wanna commit myself to Jesus this evening, lift your hands. Anyone at all? I see that hand, amen. You can put your hand down, you can put your hand down, I see that hand. Hell's a real place hell's a real place it's something I tell my kids about it's something I want you to realize is a real place and it's waiting for you it wants you the enemy wants you in his kingdom not in Jesus' kingdom is there anyone at all don't pass up this opportunity just lift your hand I see that hand over there God bless you you may put it down I see that hand you can put it down Maybe you've fallen away. You said, you know, I used to serve God. I've read his word. I've had the knowledge. I know exactly what it takes to be a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. But you know, I'm not sure if I'd make it in. I have a partial relationship with Jesus. And I want to be able to commit that. I want to be able to say, you know what, I'm ready to take those next steps. If that's you, to make a full commitment with God, to go come back to Him, I want you to lift your hand as well. Maybe you've backslidden. I see that hand, sis. You could put it down. Maybe you've backslidden and you've, you've fallen away from the faith. The world just got you, tangled you up. And now you're just feeling, you know what, I need to come back to God. If that's you, don't pass up on this opportunity. I want you to lift your hand. Again, we're not going to embarrass you. Amen. Listen, church, for those that raised your hand, can you just look up at me? Now listen, we want to do one other thing. Just go ahead and look up at me if you've lifted your hand. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. We're going to have other people come with you. You're not going to be alone. But I want to invite you right now to accept Jesus into your life. If you've raised your hand, would you come up? Just come to the altar right now. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. We just want to pray with you. That's all. We can give God praise. You're not coming alone. You're not coming alone. Amen. Come on. I know there's more. I know there's more. Just come.